we're going to start, before I introduce uh, what we're doing today, we're going to start with a prayer that we've been praying the last um, few weeks by the very beautiful Patrick Otuma, who is he, he's here very soon, isn't he? Or is he here now? Soon? He's here now. Okay, so he's here now. So this is going to be even more powerful this morning since his presence is in the country. Um, uh, so I'm just going to pray it, but you can just follow along with me. We begin our day alone, honouring this life with all its potentials and possibilities. We begin our day with trust, knowing we are created for loving encounter. We begin our day with hope, knowing the day can hold love, kindness, forgiveness, and justice. We recall our day yesterday. May we learn, may we love, may we live on. We make room for the unexpected. May we find wisdom and life in the unexpected. Help us to embrace possibility, respond graciously to disappointment, and hold tenderly those we encounter. Help us to be fully present to the day. I think Warwick and I both clicked at the same time. We pray for all those whose day will be difficult. May we support, may we listen, may we change. We resolve to live life in its fullness. We will welcome the people who will be part of this day. We will greet God in ordinary and hidden moments. We will live the life we are living. There are words here for you to say this time. May we find the wisdom we need. God be with us. May we hear the needs of those we meet. God be with us. May we love the life that we are given. God be with us. Amen. So we really could just finish there for this morning because he's done in a few lines what I'm going to do in um, a number of rambling minutes. But... um, So, yeah, feel free just to shut down and meditate for the next 20 minutes as I talk. But but what we are looking at um, in this short series is uh, we're looking at finding God in the ordinary, finding God in the ordinary rhythms of life. Um, And that prayer is essentially about exactly that. I didn't make this slide. This is classic Shane, of course. Hallowing our lives, spirituality for ordinary times. Um, so as always, I'm going to start with a, with a quick recap of the last couple of weeks. Um, we've, we've talked about the, the church calendar. For those that aren't familiar with the church calendar... It's, it features a lot of green and purple and some yellow. Um, but in the church calendar, you have your, um, your festivals, things like 
Advent, where we talk about wonder and weighty, waiting, um, participation, expectation. Uh, seasons like Lent, where we prepare uh, for Easter and where we think about um, costly faithfulness and suffering, where we think about sacrificial love. Um, there's a season of Pentecost uh, where we, I guess, think about the crazy and unexpected inbreaking of God and God's spirit that sometimes happens in the midst of ordinary life. But then there's the rest of the year, uh, which in the church calendar is referred to as ordinary time. Um, and as, as Shane said last week, uh, ordinary is generally a pretty pejorative term in our culture. Um, you would never say to someone that you love how ordinary they are. Um, and yet, it's in a really big font. So it must be capable of redemption, um, ordinary time. It's very easy to find um, a place for faith in times um, of tragedy, um, when we are desperately calling out for God to help us. Um, and there are times when we cannot but be faithful because of the incredible experience of God and God's spirit that we are going through, um, the incredible mountaintop experiences that we sometimes have. So in, in those times of tragedy and those times of triumph, it's very easy to feel God, to feel our need for God. Um, but the challenge of this series is to think about how we feel the presence of God when we're not in tragedy, when we're not in triumph, but we're in the ordinary rhythms of life. Um, and it's, it's particularly relevant for us in this community because if you look at um, the life of this community, um, for those of us who've been around for a while we did um, have about, I don't know how many years ago, about seven or eight years ago, um, a little bit longer, a real revitalization, a real period of renewal, and it was very exciting and it really felt tangibly like God was doing amazing things in this place. Um, and then we went through a really, really difficult time where we were desperately looking to God to, to get us through um, a very unstable, wobbly time. But it does feel like in the last couple of years, things have stabilised, things have normalised. We're, we're in a period of life for this community, which is more ordinary, which is more predictable. Um, and there's lots of beautiful things about that, but it, it can be a time when it's challenging to see what God is doing. And it's certainly the case in our own lives that, um, that many of us fear the ordinary. We fear the mundane and we seek to escape it in a whole bunch of ways, either through, uh, through pleasure and distraction um, or through seeking out something really meaningful to do. Um, and both of those things are obviously fine and important, um, but I guess what we're looking 
looking at in this series is to say, yes, there is a place for those things, but we also need to find a place for God when things are not like that, when things are not super fun, when things are not super meaningful in a really easily tangible way, but uh, where in the ordinary times of life we can still seek meaning and connection in God. We've, we've been using this quote as well in the last few weeks. In a sense, it's a bit of a vision statement for us of what um, life in the ordinary could be. I'll read it out because I can see you're reading it already. Um, Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. Grace being a moment where God is present. So this quote kind of sums up the vision that we are casting in this series, um, a vision of finding grace and God's presence in every moment, even the boring ones, even the mundane and ordinary ones. And this morning, we want to move from that vision to the practical steps and practices that might be involved in achieving that vision. Uh, Because a vision like this, without the means of achieving it, without the means of finding it, can be very discouraging. Um, So we want to talk this morning about what are some things that we can do, what are some things that we do already um, that enable us to find grace, to find God in the very ordinary rhythms of our lives um, and in times that, that even feel mundane. So I have a few, um, I have a few thoughts on this, but um, before I talk about any of those, I guess I wanted to throw it open. We haven't, in the last couple of weeks, we haven't really had much of a chance for people to speak into this series. Um, we haven't had a chance to create the FNCC snowball. Um, so, so I just want people to share for a few minutes or for a few moments um, any things that you do to, to connect with God, to connect with mystery, to connect with grace in the ordinary and mundane times of life. Just things that you have woven into the the rhythms of your day-to-day life um, that enable you, I guess, to do what Frederick Buechner is encouraging us to do, to find grace and to find mystery in moments that seem extremely ordinary. So while you're thinking of yours, I'll just mention one of mine um, to get the ball rolling 
something that's become very important to me over the last few years has been the, the daily meditations of Richard Rohr. Um, these are meditations that you can subscribe to as an email and they take just a few minutes to read every day. And I've found in the past that so much that I've read about the spiritual life has felt he- heavy and overwhelming. It's felt like it's, it's created expectations or demands that I can't meet and I've very quickly given up reading them. Whereas for me, I have found his meditations consistently inspiring, consistently encouraging and always leaving me feeling lighter. The meditations have also helped me to develop a healthier relationship with scripture and even cultivate um, a somewhat sporadic meditative practice. So what we're definitely not trying to do this morning is to to create a one-size-fits-all thing for anyone. So I'm not saying that this is is the answer. Richard Rohr's daily meditations are the answer for us all. But um, the idea is to try to get a range of of practices and ideas that might inspire us. In the end, if if it's a practice that we can't learn to love, if it's a practice that we can't learn to look forward to, then it will not survive. It will not last. It will just become... Uh, another source of guilt when we give it up. (laughs) Um, So the idea is for us to share practices and habits that we have that for us have been really life-giving, for us have allowed us to connect with the ordinary, to connect with God in the ordinary. Um, And after we do this, I'm going to just talk about a few, I think, more big-picture structural things that are also an obstacle to us connecting with God in the ordinary. But first, over to you. So what are some... I've got Jenny straight away. I see that hand. So I listened to the podcast yesterday and it was already on my mind um, today. So that's why I feel like I've done my homework. Um, uh, I was very inspired by Mary Oliver, the um, American poet, um, just reading her poetry and then finding out from the interview, um, an interview she gave, that she was actually foraging for food the entire time, but she would forage for food and write her poetry. Um, and so I think for me, I found it being really helpful to reframe really boring things into something that is... Um, um, that might be more romantic. Um, So sometimes, I think Shane mentioned, sort of child caring can be very dull and mundane. Um, And sometimes when when I'm trying to be... Well, yeah, when I've noticed that I've kind of gone off and I'm trying to appreciate the small moments with Evie, I do treat it like a meditation. And then I give myself bonus points for having meditated. And (laughs) so, you know, just... (laughs) Then I feel extra spiritual and like a parent... So, yeah, breathing um, and um, sort of trying to stay present with her. Um, And then the other thing is um, uh, I found this quite common. Most in um, heterosexual relationships, females tend to be the one to run the schedule of the family. So today we have to do this. Make sure you pick up a birthday present. Um, And so I... Um, I mean, I enjoy doing that because I feel like that's the way my mind works. I'm very process-orientated, but um, I've recently um, come to see it more as choreographing. So I like to say, oh, I'm choreographing what my family is doing today. And that just makes it feel a bit lighter and fun. And um, 
yeah, more like making art rather than working out who's picking up Evie. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Yes, um, just generally too, poetry for a lot of people is an incredibly um, powerful thing to, um, to connect with God and grace in the ordinary. Um, and Mary Oliver, yes, highly, highly recommend her poetry. Thanks, Rod. Um, so, yeah, the, the last year um, I have been unable to meditate, really, just because of life circumstances and being extremely busy. And that that is um, had, so I feel like I'm operating at a very high frequency, sort of waking up on a high frequency and not connecting to, to whatever to have that space. But one of the things we've been doing recently, Harriet and I, is... Um, I can't sit down and meditate for half an hour or whatever, and I, I can't find the time. But every time um, I hear a kookaburra, I've made it a habit to sort of just stop whatever we're doing. It's usually when me and Harriet are in a big argument, she's just about to win. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a kookaburra makes this beautiful um, noise, and uh, just stopping and listening to the kookaburra. And it's just a tiny, tiny little moment, and it's just becoming a habit, which um, is really beautiful. Thanks, Henry. Welcome back, Harriet, Henry, and Albie. Working the cables, I see. Um, for me, I, I was just thinking recently, as I imagine with a lot of people in this community, podcasts have become a big part of like my life. Um, and something I've tried to do recently is actually just if I'm on a train or riding or something, just not listening to a podcast and not continue it. I get in this like incessant desire to constantly be filling my brain with information because it's so accessible with a podcast, but I really like being bored on a train. And I think that can be really um, refreshing sometimes just to like sit in boredom and it's really nice, yeah. Excessive podcast listening. That's what a weird thought. <laughs> a little bit um, similar to, to Josh, just in terms of um, yesterday I had a, a really nice experience. I just did um, a yoga session just over in Edinburgh Gardens. It was just a, a free come along and um, it was just beautiful and I, we just started off by lying on our mats um, in the shade under the trees. But just to be looking up at the leaves and looking at the sun come through for about 15 minutes, I thought, I've not done this for the longest time. And I used to get out in the outdoors a lot more than I do, but it was a really good sort of wake-up call just to... And not sort of, yeah, listen to be listening to music or podcasting or, or anything, but just really looking and, I suppose, being, um, yeah, just mindful of of the beautiful environment that we had. So that's something that I would like to introduce more into my practice. Thanks, Roz. Um, just another moment of finding quiet time. I'm trying to get up early enough to sit down and eat my breakfast without doing something else at the same time. So, um, yeah, I had been in a habit of, you know, making toast and a cup of tea and then walking around and getting dressed at the same time um, or scrolling my Instagram because that's really fun. Um, so just trying not to do anything else while I eat breakfast, which apparently is a struggle for me, but I'm getting there. Yeah, I love the idea of no multitasking, just when you're eating, eat. Yeah. <laughs> 
I journal every day, and that can be as boring as thinking through my logistics or my choreography of the day. Um, but it can also be a space that allows me to tune in if there's a bit more going on of life to reflect. And I find, because my mind is so busy, pen and paper help me stay grounded and come back to wherever that thought was. So sometimes God's interwoven, sometimes it's just my own head, but it gives that space. Thanks, Jackie. Um, I find, uh, so I, my kind of meditative quiet time is like just driving down the Eastern Freeway, not like I've got my eyes closed or anything like that, but I, um, it's just a time that like I'm actually doing something but doing nothing, like my brain can just wander as long as I'm you know, looking at where the cars are going, but kind of have those kind of quiet conversations with God, even in, um, another thing I do is call it <laughs> meditative motorcycling, um, or mindful motorcycling when, you know, your brain just so much is going on. But when you're on a motorbike, you've got to be so focused on what's around you. You can't – and it kind of clears um, – you know, clears my mind a bit. And when I stop, I'm usually stopping somewhere that's amazing. Like I went to the Dandenongs the other week. Um, and you just get there and you just – your mind's kind of clear and you just got this beautiful vista just to kind of relax into and kind of – Breathe out after you've been tailgated for three kilometres by a Commodore. Uh, first, I just want to say hi, everyone. This is my second time here, and I feel really good every time I've first and today. I feel really good. It's nice to see so many new faces, new people. But for the last, I'd say, um, maybe seven years, um, as I drive to work, I just say the Lord's Prayer, you know. And something amazing happens because every day I get confronted with hard times or difficult people at work or people at need or some people are really angry at work. And it's amazing. When I miss that prayer in the morning, it's like it just doesn't work the day. And then I remember, oh, my God, my, at the end of the day, I forgot to pray. So... I would love it, all of us together, to say that prayer today, if you want to. I'm going to say it, and if you'd like to join me, you're welcome. And this is how I start the prayer, which is in the Bible. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but free us from all evil. For yours is the power, the kingdom, and glory. Every morning, I don't know, when I do say it, I get so emotional, I feel like he's with me. And it's, for me, it's really does some amazing magic in my daily life. And it's just lovely to be able to share that. The more I feel we read his word, something amazing happens in your life. Just want to share that with you. Many years ago, a wise old lady taught me to look for God in every person I meet. And particularly when I have a difficult interaction with people, or I'm having trouble getting on their wavelength I find it can be a breakthrough. 
uh, you look for that kernel of God that's in every single human being. And in doing that, it's also a prayer for that person to God and it's a connecting thing. Have I missed anyone? No. Thank you so much. I mean, I, ho- I hope that in one or two of those, there was a sense of, um, yes, that is something that I do or something that I could do or something that I could learn to love. Um, because it isn't, um, in the end for us, it's not about, um, as we said in our Bible series, it's not about trying to lay a heavy yoke on people, um, but something light, as Jesus said, something light and life-giving. I want to talk um, briefly about f- four things that I think maybe at a, at a bigger or deeper level can be a, a, an obstacle um, to us being able to find God in the ordinary. Um, the first is, the, is a pretty obvious one. Uh, it's something that we've already talked about. Um, but it's worth mentioning just because it's so huge and ever-present, and that is the incredible amount of kind of noise and distraction uh, that there is in our culture. It can really overwhelm any of the practices that we introduce. Uh, and sometimes it feels like the practices for, for mindfulness, the practices for presence, the practices of silence are like throwing a thimble full of water onto a bushfire. Um, when we think about the intense distraction and noise and busyness that characterizes our lives. So I feel like for, for most of us, for all of us, before we add practices to our lives, it's almost like we need to think about are there things that we can subtract from our lives first? Um, are there ways where we can do less? Um, simple things like having screen-free nights, um, doing things like Josh was mentioning of um, choosing not to listen to something or to watch something, um, choosing to, to sit in that space of boredom and inactivity and just to see what emerges, to have the courage to do that. Because sometimes it, is, it, it really is courageous just to sit with ourselves, um, to not have some input or information or stimulation or distraction or entertainment. But um, I think the challenge of ordinary time is actually to somehow break on through to the other side of that experience of boredom and find God there. Um, the, second, the second thing um, is that I think for a lot of us, we were raised to expect to see God in ways that God doesn't operate or to only see God in ways that God rarely operates is perhaps a better way of saying it. Uh, so we expect God to work in these incredibly obvious, vivid, neon, um, irrefutable ways to speak in a very loud, uh, unquestionable voice. And when we don't see 
God speaking and acting in incredibly obvious ways, we feel like God is not speaking and God is not acting. Um, so here's a picture that Shane found. Um, for those listening to the podcast, it looks like a picture of dead leaves. Um, can anyone else see anything in it? Oh, yeah, yeah, so there are also some green leaves. But aside from the green leaves and the brown leaves and the yellow leaf, <laughs> can you see anything else? There's a snake. <laughs> what? The little, the, it's the little S there. So, so I think what Shane had in mind was to try to give us the image of God as a snake that we might step on and that might bite us in the ankle. So instead, so Warwick, can you bring up that video? So instead, I thought I'd give you a different image. Um, if you've seen this before, don't whisper anything to the person next to you. Uh, we're going to watch a little video. It's an awareness test. Thanks, Warwick. I just thought it was much better to think of God as someone in a bear suit, moonwalking. <laughs> as an actual bear. Yeah, yeah. Think of God as an actual moonwalking bear. There's that beautiful... Um, passage in Kings where Elijah is told to go and wait for the, for the voice of God, for an encounter with God. And there's, there's a, you know, a strong wind and there's um, all these incredibly loud and clanging noises. Um, but then there is silence, a sound of sheer silence. I love, I love that expression. I love the paradox of the sound of sheer silence. What does sheer silence sound like? It doesn't sound like anything. But when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It's fascinating to, to think of that it's, it's the sound of no sound. It's the sound of an absence of sound that is the trigger for Elijah to know that, that God is present. Um, and I think it's a fantastic passage just to remind us that if we're not 
experiencing the presence of God, if we're not finding God in the ordinary, one of the reasons, there may be many reasons for that, but one of the reasons may be that we we don't know what to look for. This week, Shane and I were talking about some questions that might be better questions to ask ourselves if we want to discern what God is doing around us. Questions like, where is peacemaking happening around us? Where do we see forgiveness being offered around us? Where do we see kindness happening around us? And to know that that is God. To think also about where we see injustice happening around us, where we see unkindness and discrimination happening around us, and to see that as the call of God to us to act. If we're waiting for God to appear to us in a vision or to appear in a, in a deafening wind and a deafening voice, then we risk missing everything that God is doing around us. As Shane said last week, spirituality for ordinary time is really about paying attention to what God is doing in the world and recognising how we have been invited to participate. That in every moment God is trying to form us into creatures who bring forth life. A couple, couple more things quickly. Um, I'm not sure why Pontius Pilate is in blue. <laughs> Obviously, it's his colour. Um, what I really meant to highlight in this <laughs> was the, the bluey-green comma between Mary and Suffered. Tell me, about the, tell me about that comma. Tell me about the comma between Born of the Virgin Mary and Suffered under Pontius Pilate. You don't think it's bluey-green? Anyway, setting aside the colour of the comma, what can you tell me about that comma? It's the life of Jesus. In the Apostles' Creed, this ancient statement of belief, the entire life of Jesus, every single thing that Jesus did, every single thing that Jesus said, is summed up with a comma. And for those like me that grew up saying the Apostles' Creed every week. That absence was profound. Jesus was presented as this divine saviour, the means by which I could escape from my sin, the means by which I could be teleported to heaven when I die. But the idea of Jesus being a human example was just not there. Or at least underplayed. So Jesus is our human example of how it is that we find grace in the ordinary. He prayed and he served. He prayed alone in the quiet. He prayed in community, in the synagogue. He worshipped, he healed He meditated on scripture. He fasted. 
He fed the hungry. He rested. He withdrew, but was patient with people that interrupted him. I love this passage from Mark. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where Jesus prayed. Simon and the disciples went to look for Jesus, and when they found Jesus, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. I think this this passage kind of sums up what I very pretentiously have called the engine of transcendence. (laughs) But people touched on it in a lot of the, um, the suggestions and the practices that they talked about, that, that in Jesus' life we see this incredible rhythm of solitude, silence, and reconnection, and then engagement again with people. Um, but that it wasn't, I think often we think of it as, oh, so he... Jesus' solitude is like him recharging and reconnecting with God and then the encounter, encountering the poor and the sick is sort of like spending all of this stuff on them and then he goes back and gets some more. Whereas, um, sorry, I don't know your name. Oh, sorry. sorry, taking a photo. Jeanette, as Jeanette was saying, um, I think Jesus is charged by both experiences. Jesus finds the divine in both experiences, but Jesus knows that without the shifting back and forth between solitude and encounter, he can't get anything out of either. And so in healing and in the face of the poor and the suffering, Jesus sees the face of God, but Jesus can only see the face of God in the suffering and the outcast if Jesus is also spending this time of solitary connection. Does that make sense? Is that so in this in this example that Jesus sets, we are encouraged, I guess, to find our own rhythms in the ordinary stuff of life, to find our own rhythms of contemplation and action, as Richard Rawl would say, that enable us to encounter grace and God in both contemplation in both solitude and in action and encounter. And that if we are finding that we're getting nothing out of either, that that it is a time to reflect on the rhythm that we have and whether it's out of whack. The last thing I just want to talk about briefly is um, kind of a bit of anxiety, psychology and neurology. I know we have a a bunch of psychologists in the room, so please correct me or add stuff to what I'm about to say. Um, But I know for me growing up, I had a lot of disciplines and practices in my life. There was a lot of Bible reading, there was a lot of prayer, um, but I realized looking back how much I was doing those things in in a state of anxiety and, and stress and guilt, um, 
what we might talk about as the fight or flight state. Um, that because, because of, of the way I was encouraged to, to do that, and because of the image of God that I had, um, I, I think growing up, God was like that kind of migrant parent that's given up so much for you to have opportunities that they didn't have, that you feel this incredible weight of obligation to do the best with what they've given you. Um, and it's a, it can be a crushing sense of responsibility and anxiety um, that can rob those disciplines of prayer and Bible reading of any life. So I guess I just want to acknowledge that many of us in this community are carrying so much anxiety and trauma in these areas. So to re-engage with practices of, of prayer or Bible reading or even meditation might be a slow road. Just as in our series on prayer, for many of us we need to start by changing the images of God that we are praying to, the images of God that we are meditating on, the, the image of God um, and how we expect, as I said, how we expect that God to act, to bring down the anxiety, um, to find ourselves instead in what I think is called the parasympathetic state, uh, the state where we can rest, the state where we can repair, the state where we can create and connect. So while there is an important place for intention in this area, to, to, be, to have some intention in terms of trying out practices, clearing space for connection with God. Um, we also need to be really tuned into what's happening for us psychologically in that process. And if we find that the process of trying to clear space for connection with God, if we find that the practices that we are engaging with are just raising our anxiety levels, then it's going to be counterproductive. It's going to lead to us feeling profoundly discouraged and giving up. And that is not the intention of this series. So I just thought that was a really important thing to add in um, because, especially in this community, because of all the trauma and anxiety a lot of us bring to these practices. Um, if, I mean, obviously one of the possible ways forward is to find practices that you've never tried before, that I guess are not tarnished by past experience and so where that anxiety might be lower, um, to maybe try dancing rather than reading the Bible for a while or, um, yeah, to try yoga practices, um, so practices that come from a different religious tradition and so are not tarnished by past experience and the anxiety and trauma that's connected to them. Because we're certainly not talking about here encouraging greater willpower. You've got to have greater willpower. Yes, as I said, there is a need for intention to try to put some things in place. But if we don't end up looking forward to these practices that we've put in place, it's not going to stick. And so we're going to end up letting go of them and we're going to end up again in a place of discouragement and a place of disconnection.
So with that in mind, let's just finish again with this passage from Matthew 11. But Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a paradox here, that we are called to a life of discipline, and we are called into disciplines of meditation and prayer. But these disciplines are to lead us away from anxiety to a place of peace and presence and creativity. It's a, it's a kind of a paradoxical tension that we're trying to hold. But if we find that place where it can, if we find that place where we can weave into our lives these practices and disciplines in a way that is life-giving, um, that is how we can realise that vision that Frederick Buchner has set for us of of hallowing the ordinary and finding grace in every moment. Amen. 